and I want to begin a brand new lesson series, and um, I've kind of alluded to it. I've been actually wanting to do this kind of series, or at least talking about this topic for a very long time, and um, we've talked about it before, but I feel like that so many failures uh, in the Christian life, so many things that, that we experience or problems that we face in our own life um, stem from how we see God. And whether we see him or know him as his word describes him as he truly is, um, or that we see him and think about him as we conceive him to be or think him to be. And, uh, you know, you read through the book of Job and, and um, you know, I think one of the, the overlying lessons that we learn from Job is seeing God clearly and seeing God for who he really is. Because you read the story of Job, and obviously we know that Job is a just man, a God-fearing man, and God allowed things to come into his life. And even at the beginning of those trials and testings, Job had the right spirit, the right attitude. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and uh, he refused to curse God, even though his wife encouraged him to, even though he was in pain physically, even though he had lost his family, even though he had lost his possessions. And then finally, Job starts to talk. And at that point, Job begins to look at himself and his view of God and how he perceives God begins to shift. And it's not until the end of the book of Job when God steps in and begins to talk about who he really is to Job until finally Job says, you know what? I've heard of you with the hearing of my ear, but now mine I see, I see you clearly. I see you better. And so many times the failures in our Christian life come from the fact that we have our own preconceived humanistic view of God, and we need to know what God's Word says about God. And so look at Isaiah chapter 45, and I want to just use these verses to get us started. Look at verse number 3. It says, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches and secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect. I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is none God beside me. I girded thee, though hast, thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And look at verse number 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And so let's pray as we get into our first lesson today. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we ask that you please remove, uh, Lord, distractions that we may be facing in life. Uh, Lord, uh, some things that are serious, cares, we've prayed for those that have cancer and uh, those that have uh, big decisions, and those that have unspoken, those that have uh, tests and, and major parts of their life that are coming up soon that they may be worried about or focused on. And Father, I pray that at least for a few moments in this, in this hour that we'd set those aside and allow you to speak to us about knowing you, about seeing you, about understanding who you are. Uh, Lord, although we'll never fully do that, and nor would we want to, but God, we, we want to be able to at least from what you've revealed to us in your word, be able to know who you are and what you're like. And I pray that you'd speak to us about that today. I pray that, Father, we'd be yielded to hear from you, uh, that we would be willing to set aside who we think you are, uh, who life has convinced us you are, uh, who our own heart and our own mind tries to tell us you are, 
And God, be willing to learn from your word about who you really are. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us in the service that will follow the new series that Pastor will be bringing and just all that will go on in the service that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So when I say the phrase or when, I, when we talk about the idea of knowing God, uh, I just want you to think about that for a second. What exactly does that mean to you, to know God? Um, you know, we, we throw that out a lot in, in lessons and in messages. You need to know God. You need to know God better. But what exactly does that mean? And God's word talks about our need to or the fact that we need to know God. He says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. He says in Psalm 103, know ye that the Lord, he is God, is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, Exodus 16, 12 says, know that I am the Lord your God. But what does it mean to know God? Um, well, think about it in this, this light. What does it mean to, to know someone, you know, to get to know someone, someone that you're interested in, a friend? Uh, what does it mean to get to know someone? Uh, you spend time with that person. Uh, you took notice of that person and, and, and wanted to, to, to know more about them. Maybe ask questions of them or about them to others. Um, you had friends tell you about that person. You, you looked at that person, how they acted and responded and revealed who they were in life by just going through life with them. You get to know someone. Um, my prayer for this, this series for the next eight or nine weeks or so as we're going through this is that all of us, and, and this is first and foremost for me, but that we uh, would have a heart to know God. Um, hold your place in Isaiah and go to Jeremiah chapter number 24. Jeremiah chapter number 24. I want us to know God and to understand exactly what that means. And I think we'll get into that a little bit today. But I, I want us to know God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 24 and verse number 7, says, and I will give them an heart to know me, saith the Lord, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. They shall return unto me with their whole heart. That's my, that's my hope. That's my prayer. Uh, I want God to give me a heart to know him. I want God to give you a heart to know him, uh, to know who he is, to know what he's like. Um, but as we, as we talk about knowing God... Um, Certainly, we can read the Bible as a textbook, and we can read the facts of the Bible, and we can read the truths that are black and white in the Bible, and we can know about God. But knowing God is certainly more than just knowing about Him. You know, you can know all about someone, but that doesn't mean that you know that person. You know, uh, growing up, one of my favorite baseball players is Derek Cheater. And if you're a, fan, a, a, a baseball fan, you know that he just went into the Hall of Fame and uh, one vote off of being unanimous. And it's a crying shame. But anyway, uh, but I can know a lot of things about Derek Cheater. I can know that he had over a 300 batting average for his career. Uh, both in the regular season and the postseason. I can know all about the wonderful things that he did and the fact that he was Rookie of the Year in 1996 and the fact that uh, he won Game 1 of the American League Division Series in 1996 over the Baltimore Orioles with a home run that shouldn't have been. And I, I can know uh, that in 2000 in the World Series that he was the World Series MVP and he won Game 4, let off the game with a home run. I can know all of these things. I can know that in 2001 uh, that in Game 3 of the Division Series against the 
Oakland Athletics said he had a wonderful play where he flipped the ball, flipped the ball to home plate to get an out uh, that probably shouldn't have been, uh, but he did it. I can, I know that uh, he was uh, one of the first players to hit a home run in the month of November to win Game Four of the World Series in 2001 over the the Arizona Diamondbacks. I can know that his 3,000 hit was a home run. One of only two players to ever do that. I can know that his last game at Yankee Stadium he won with a walk off. I can know all of these things about him. But if I were to walk up to Derek Jeter on the street today and say, hey, Derek, and start going through all of those things, he would have no idea who I was. You can know a lot of things about God, and certainly we want to, and, and we're going to get into that today. But knowing God is more than just that. Let me see. say this first of all, that knowing God starts with salvation. Knowing God starts with him knowing you. Um, you know, this series of lessons, and as we look through this truth and want to know God and we pray for the heart to know God, will mean nothing if he doesn't know you first. If in Matthew 7, 23, as Jesus talks about the father separating the goats and the sheep, if he looks at you and says, I never knew you. Doesn't matter how much you know about God if he doesn't know you first. But but knowing God certainly is a relationship with him. And, and having a relationship with someone means being close to them. Being close to someone means understanding more than just what they are on the surface, just what they look like, just what they appear to be. Uh, knowing who they are on a deeper level means understanding the way that they think, uh, the ins and outs of their personality and character qualities. Uh, knowing God is having a relationship with him that allows us to know who he is on a personal level, uh, to know that he is God, to know that he is our father, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, that he's the creator, the giver of all that is good. But still, beyond all of that, who exactly is God? Who exactly is God? What makes him God? Because all those things that we listed are titles that he has, certainly attributes that make him God, but they're titles that he has that are really attached to things that he does. And, and, and we live in a society that identity for most people is very much based on what we do. Uh, our identity is based on what we do. Our, it's, it's our job. You know, uh, especially guys, uh, uh, you, know, you, you meet somebody for the first time, one of the first questions that you ask him is, what do you do? What's your job? And it's kind of our identity, you know. Uh, I, you know, I work here, or I do this, or, or even your, your, your course of study, your major at school. That's still attached to what you hope to do one day. Um, certainly what God does is such an important part of knowing him. But why does he do what he does? Uh, why does he do uh, what he does? Now, we'll, we'll never completely understand it, but, but can we catch a, a glimpse of it by trying to know who he really is? Uh, let me say this. Knowing God is understanding at least as much as we can on a very simple and earthly level as he's revealed it to us. It's understanding the attributes of God. You know, the question that has gone on for centuries from children to adults to the mature theologian who studies God on a regular basis, the question is, what is God like? What is God like? And we ask that. You know, if you have someone that you want to introduce, if you're a nice person, you want to introduce someone else, uh, someone to a friend for a date, 
and, uh, or, or maybe you've got somebody that wants to introduce you to someone else, and they, you want them to, to, to tell you all about this person, or you try to tell your friend all about this person. You may tell what they do for work, and, and uh, you may talk about what they're studying for school. You may talk about where they're from. Uh, you may talk about what they look like. But, but, if, but if it's something serious, if it's something more than surface, or if you want it to be something more than surface, uh, you talk about something that's a little bit deeper, uh, who they really are, what they're like. Uh, their personality, their character, the qualities that make them unique. To know God deeper is to know what he's like. But to understand what God is like, then we have to look at what we call God's attributes. You know, when, when we ask what God is like, let me say this. If we're talking, if we're asking that question and we're asking uh, what is uh, or for referring to, to who God is as himself, just what is God like? Who is he as himself? Then that's a question that we'll never know the answer to because we can never fully understand who God is. And let me say this, we don't want to completely understand who God is because to have a God that you completely understand is to have a God over which you have control. Have a God that you completely understand is to have a God who cannot help you. To have a God that you completely understand and comprehend is a God that you can manipulate. That you, if you know all the ins and outs and how he thinks and what makes him click and all of this stuff, uh, then you can manipulate that God. We need a God that we don't understand completely, but God does want to under, us to understand at least a part of him. And that's why he's revealed his attributes to us. When we ask what God is like, maybe in comparison to something else, what is God like? We tried to compare him to something that we can understand, that we already know about. Uh, God is not like anything. God is not like anything. Uh, go back to the book of Isaiah and look at Isaiah 40. God's one of a kind. There's nothing that we can compare him to. And certainly as Scripture you read through scripture, whether it's here in the prophets or you read about it in Revelation, the description, the description, excuse me, of the writers in the word of God, when they talk about God and they talk about Jesus, they're very careful to use comparative language. He was like, it's likened to, uh, it's similar to. They never say this is what it is. They never say this is what it looks like. But we have to, in order to be able to understand, at least to a degree, it has to be compared to something that we understand. But, but according to Isaiah 40, look at verse 25. God says, to whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? God is not like anything. If we're trying to compare God to something that we can understand, that is to give him characteristics or qualities of his creation. If we're trying to imagine God in a way that we can comprehend or understand, then we've created an idol because that is not who God is. Because we can understand it and comprehend it. We have to look at God's word as his revelation. In that, we find that he tells us to know him. In that, he tells us uh, some parts about him. Uh, so what is true about him. What kind of a God is he based on his words? And as we're talking about this, this entire series, we want to use the right language when we're 
trying to figure out who God is. Or we're trying to understand as much as we can what God is like. And so we're looking for his attributes. And the attributes are the things that God has revealed about himself. The things that he wants us to know. Now, there's been talk about how many attributes there are of God. And, uh, you know, theologians have tried to quantify it and give it a number or put it in a box. And, and for sake of time, we're going to only look at eight or nine of them that God talks about in his word. Uh, but there are, because God is infinite, then he has infinite attributes and things that we'll never understand about God. We'll never even probably understand them when we get to heaven. But as we look at God's attributes, the things that he has revealed about himself, let me give you a definition for attributes there in your handout. Attributes are that which is considered belonging to or inherent in. Belonging to or inherent in. They are the things that God is. See, when we, when we try to describe God or when we're, when we're attempting to understand God, if we use words like characteristics or if we use words like qualities or traits, then we, we run the risk of attempting to compare God to man and trying to understand God on a humanistic level. Uh, this statement there in your handout uh, by the writer Tozer said, we must break ourselves of thinking of the creator as we think of his creatures. We must break ourselves of thinking of the creator as we think of his creatures. This is where we so many times have a wrong view of God is because we understand or we think we understand God based on the people we know. And we compare God to someone you know, this is why so many people that have, a, have a, a, a bad relationship with their earthly father cannot see God as their heavenly father because they're comparing the two. But we cannot compare God to his creation. The words we use to describe when we're trying to discover about God are important because if we use the wrong ones, then we'll think the wrong thing. And then we'll look for the wrong things as we understand God. Uh, if we use those words, qualities or characteristics or, or, or traits, then uh, we might be led to think that God consists of separate individual parts. Things that God has learned or things that God has developed or, or things that, that God can be at one time and then at other times he's something completely different. Uh, maybe he sets aside these qualities so that he can be this over here. But that's not how God operates. That's how we operate. Mankind consists of a sum of individual parts. That's who we are. We're, we're a composite creation that God has put together and made us who we are. You know, how many of you have ever taken a, a, a personality or a strengths test or the, that Enneagram test? And, and very clearly it says there's different parts to who we are, but that's not who God is. Uh, see, we are uh, learning and growing and adding and subtracting different parts of our lives for the whole of our lives. Uh, our character changes, and in one day it may increase, and another day it may decrease. Today we may be loving and kind, and in 20 years we may be uh, old and hateful. Uh, we change. We're different. But God does not change. By using the right word, attribute, 
when we're trying to figure out who God is. We know that who God is in all of these, what looks like to us, separate parts are all that God is. God is all who he is, and he does because he is. Because or between his attributes, there is no contra tra contradiction. Listen, God does not stop being one of the things that he is so that he can be another thing that he is. God does not stop being love so that he can be justice. God does not stop being gracious so that he can be righteous. God does not stop being, uh, God does not stop being loving kindness so he can be power. God does not stop being one so that he can be another. He is all of those things. Well, I love this statement. All of God does all that God does. I don't think that's on your handout. But all of God does all that God does. He does not divide himself to perform a work, but works in the total unity of who he is. God's attributes are who he is, who he has always been, and who he always will be. And so as we study God's attributes, that's theology, the study of God, um, we can divide his attributes or the things that God's word has revealed about who God is. You can divide those into two categories. And, and I think it's important that we understand his attributes this way. By learning who God is and what he is like as he has revealed, we understand who we are to be as we follow him. Uh, in Leviticus 19.2 and 1 Peter 1.16, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. Because God is holy, he wants us to be holy. Uh, John or 1 John 3.16 and Chapter 4, verse 7, we understand that we love because God is love. And so there are some things that God is, some attributes of God that he wants us to be as well. They're replicable. They're repeatable. Uh, they're copyable. i got to stop using big words. I can't handle that. They're replicable. We can repeat those. However, nowhere in God's word are we commanded to be omnipresent or self-existent. See, we understand that God has communicable and incommunicable attributes, some that he shares with his creation and those that are unique to himself. And, and those uh, communicable attributes are the ones that, that are important to learn and know and that, that God is, is, is forming us. He's, uh, the Bible says in Romans 8 that he is uh, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's who God is uh, wanting us to become through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But for the sake of what we're going to look at over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on those attributes of God that we will never be. They are just as much who God is as those things that he wants us to be, but we will never be. Yet they are who we are, and because of that, they give us an understanding of him, how he thinks, how he operates, and, and they're just as important to understand as those things that we must strive to be like him. So over the next couple of weeks, we want to study, uh, it's really a pursuit to know him. And that's what I want this to be. I, I don't want this, again, to just be a study where we, you know, this is another class where we're collecting facts to put in our brain. But I want this, as we understand who God is, to have a desire now to know more about him. Um, I tell you, I, I was reading, uh, uh, well, go to Malachi chapter 6. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 6. 
excuse me, Micah chapter number six. There's not six chapters in, in Malachi. Micah chapter number six. And I was reading this verse earlier this week and just thinking about it. And it struck me how what this verse, I believe, is teaching, how it connects to what we're talking about. Uh, Micah 6 and verse number 8 says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. How do we, how do we endeavor to walk humbly with God? I tell you, I tell you the, the, way to under, the, the way to walk humbly with God is to try to understand it. The way to walk humbly with God is to try to understand him. This is not a subject that you or I can approach and feel like we can master in any way. You can't approach trying to understand God and think, oh yeah, give me six weeks and I'll get it all figured out. Can't do it. We have to walk humbly before God. This is a depth of knowledge that we'll never find a bottom. Or a height of glory where we'll never reach the top. Um... Spurgeon said, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. When you try to, uh, you know, uh, I was listening to something yesterday and, and uh, they made the phrase that uh, uh, it is hard sometimes to think. It's even harder to think well. But if there's ever something that we ought to strive to think well about, it's about God and who he is. Um, you know, just ask Job. You talk about Job. You get to the end of Job's life. I was reading Job 38 where God comes in and shuts Job up and begins to ask Job where was he when God created the world and, and uh, just all of these things. I, I can't even list them all. And, and come, you know, asking Job, hey, Job, uh, you realize who I am? And the only thing that Job can do at the end of all that is say, woe is me, and I abhor myself in dust and ashes. Humility. We walk humbly before God when we try to understand who he is. But, but as we finish here, let me ask us, why do we want to know God? Why do we want to know God? Why should we want to know God? Why, why should we ask God for desire in our hearts? Why should we ask him to give us a heart to know God over the next couple of weeks as we study this? Apart from the fact that he saved us, apart from the command of God in his word to know who he is, uh, boy, knowing God is of utmost importance for the life that we live. Think with me, all right? If you were to take someone from, uh, in, in, over in Southeast Asia, there are still some islands with tribes on them that have not seen civilization. And they still live uh, as if it was ancient civilization. No civilization over there. Uh, at least none, not much to speak of. If you were to take one of those people and not give them any training, understanding, or knowledge of America or English, and you were to take them and drop them in the middle of Times Square, that would be awfully cruel. How cruel is it to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing the God whose world it is and who runs it? How cruel is that to us? Life is cruel and strange and maddening and frustrating and painful and disappointing and unpleasant. Why? Because we don't know the God whose world this is. Again, so many of our problems in life come from the fact that we don't know God. We don't see him as he is. Paul, uh, we know that, that one of my favorite verses is Philippians 3.10, where Paul was willing to give up everything in life 
And Paul was willing to lay everything down. And Paul uh, knew that nothing was as important as knowing God, that I may know him, that I may know him. So as we study who God is, and we attempt to look at his word and what he's given us in black and white and revealed to us who that he is, what do we do with this knowledge of God? Yes, we want to know about God in order to know him better. Our aim must be to deepen our relationship with him, not just increase the amount of knowledge that we, we have of him. How do we turn the knowledge about God into knowledge of God? Turn every truth, let me encourage you to do this over the next couple of weeks, every truth that you learn about God, and we're going to learn uh, eight or nine specific things, but turn every single one of those truths into a matter of meditation before God, dwelling on what you learn over and over again and allowing God to speak to you through it again and again, asking him to show you who he is. First uh, John 5, 20 says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him. That is true. He wants us to know us, know him. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We want God to reveal to us who he is. And I, uh, that's my prayer for you over the next 